Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Hello there, my name is Des Cahill and today's guest who will share the stories behind their musical memories is sports commentator Ger Canning. Ger is a cork man who has commentated on a host of different sports but of course is primarily known as the man who replaced Michal O'Hare as the lead Gaelic Games commentator in RTE back in 1985. So tell us about the life of young Ger Canning growing up in Cork. Uh, I grew up, Des, in Douglas, which is in the south of the city. It's uh, two miles from the centre of Cork. When I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, you got the feeling it was uh, almost a a different country because, um, you know, there was a parish feel about it. It was different, it was distinct. It was a lovely place to grow up in and uh, sport dominated much of what we did as kids. Uh, there was a soccer field about 100 metres away from where I lived on Church Road and then about 100 metres beyond that you had the GAA grounds in Douglas. So there was no shortage of places in which to play. There were lots of kids my age as well. Uh, we Behind the house that my father built, there was a large green area. Uh, it's since built up, but it was a great place for us to play five-a-sides and eight-a-sides and three goals in and you name it. <laughs> and I suppose as a kid... Uh, the best toy you could possibly get, Des, was probably a football, even though a lot of them were plastic and they went into the briars and they punctured too easily. But nonetheless, every time you got a gift of a football, that was it. You felt made, you know? It sounds like an idyllic kind of place to I'm grow up in. I'm not saying it was idyllic, but it was absolutely perfectly normal. It's what we all did, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have nothing but the fondest of memories of all of that. I suppose it's the other children that I grew up with who helped to make it thus. Uh, and, you know, we, we all had an interest in sport, and there was a mix of different things that we did. Uh, as a kid, I used my imagination, and I wrote plays, short plays about 10 minutes duration and there was a kindly neighbour who was a theatre producer and she'd come along take the scripts and she'd give different kids different parts and we performed in her garden and there were other kids who came in to make up the audience so (laughs) we made it up as we went along. Good fun. Your, Your father passed away when you were very young he did. Uh, he, he died when I was seven. He had lung cancer, unfortunately. Um, and I, I, have, I have memories of him, but not enough, uh, regrettably. I, I mean, I've learned later more more and more about the guy. Uh, he was a very skillful man with his hands, could do anything. He came from Limerick City. He got a job promotion, I think, within CIE and moved to Cork. And then he got a bit of ground in Douglas and he built the house. He built it himself. 
himself. Uh, he did all the block work, he made all the timber, all the furniture and all the rest of it inside. He was very, very skillful, as I, as I say, and I, I'm hearing stories and have heard stories where his sisters in Limerick would say to him when he lived there, I need a new dressing table or I need a new something made of timber. And there's a fabulous one inside in Canucks, which was a store in Limerick. So he'd go in there and he'd look at it, he'd get out a box of uh, cigarettes and he'd draw an image of what he was meant to make. Then he'd go get the timber and then he'd make it for them. There's still quite a bit of furniture that he's made, I gather, in certain houses in Limerick still. So he was obviously a young man when he passed away. He was he was fifty when he died. Yeah. Uh, poor man. Um, he he had, this was the second time that he had been married. His first wife was just twenty six years of age when she died of tuberculosis TB, which was a rampant rampant illness in Ireland in the first half of uh, the last century, and it it killed her when, as I say, when she was a very young woman and had a daughter aged two. Uh, uh, so you know he he prior to that he had been a sportsman. He he um, he he was a role he, he rowed with the St. Michael's Rowing Club in Limerick. He was in their eight boat. A uh, cousin of mine, same name as myself, in Limerick did a bit of history and all of this and he was able to show me uh, the lineup in certain regattas and there was my dad's name in a few of the regattas. And he was also a musician. He played in the Boher Boy uh, Brass Band, which was a, a band in Limerick at the time. He lived there and they had their headquarters somewhere near the railway station, which would make a bit of sense because that's where he worked as well. Uh, so... You know, there was music, there was sport. Um, unfortunately, from his point of view, uh, there was tragedy as well, mm-hmm. losing his, his his young wife. He met my mother then some years later, got the job, moved to Cork, and she moved from Limerick to Cork as well. She was a Clare woman. She moved to, to Cork as well, so they settled down, and I was born some years later. And at seven years of age, it must be very hard for somebody to comprehend. I was never in that position, but... Uh was it difficult for you coping with that afterwards? Well, I remember at the time my mother bringing me into the kitchen um, and telling me that Dad had about nine months left to live. And, uh, you know, uh, she made the most of it. She wasn't all tearful and so on. She was being positive and optimistic about it. Um, then she did her level best. Uh, I do remember my dad, uh, he was in the front bedroom of the bungalow that he built and I remember because he had lung cancer it was affecting his lungs and his ability to speak clearly and she'd be saying to me go in and ask dad what he wants for his lunch and I'd go in and I'd come back to her and say I I can't understand what he's saying and I was fearful about going back in even though he was a very kindly gentle man Um, and then she the week before he died uh, she took him to Lourdes and she was hoping and praying there might be a miracle. And the last image I have of him is in a taxi going from our house up Church Road. I was in a neighbour's house at the time and I remember him waving out the back window at me. That was my last image of my father. And they went to Lourdes and he went through the waters and all the stuff that you do there in Lourdes. And uh, he passed away on an aeroplane journey back to Dublin from Lourdes in that year, 1959. And as it happens, last year, myself and my wife, Yvonne, we decided to go and retrace that. I'd never been to Lourdes before. And I went there, just wanted to be there on the day that he died, 2nd of April, 1959, as in, um, in my case, 2019 last year, you know? So it was, it was, it was emotional, but uh, I'm so glad I did it. It's a very, very sad story. But your first musical choice, Jerry, is in memory of your father. Ah, it is. He loved opera. And this is a piece by Puccini. Everybody knows it. Everybody's familiar with it. It is a most beautiful 
beautiful piece of music. I love it. It's called O Mio Babino Caro. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. O Mio Babino Caro, the choice of today's guest sports commentator, Ger Canning. So, Ger, you were a teacher before being a commentator, isn't that right? I was, yeah. Um, I went uh, to UCC and I uh, was big into sport there and I got an arts degree and from that I went teaching in a place called South Press, South Presentation Secondary School. It was an all-girls secondary school uh, at the time. By the time I had left it, uh, a lot of boys were going in as well to repeat their leaving certs. So I got involved in things like theatre. I used to produce, uh, I used to produce shows there. Uh, pantomimes, musicals, plays, that kind of stuff. Some of the people who would have uh, gone through uh, took it up seriously afterwards, some of the students. Uh, There was a lovely girl called Catherine Walsh who became an actress in Dublin, a full-time professional actress in Dublin, superb actress. And her sister, uh, Eileen Walsh, younger sister, she was in one of our shows as well. She later went on and has gone on to appear in such films as the Madeline Sisters, uh, um, the TV series, uh, what do you call Mule? I'm yeah. trying to remember the name of it now. Pure Mule, uh, yeah. That's it, yeah. Uh, she's a superb actress as well, now based in London. Um, others did various things that I think they gained something from being on stage, being able to uh, get out of their shyness, uh, being able to perform and show what they could do. Uh, projecting the way in which they could speak. It, I think theatre helps enormously and uh, I think they got an awful lot of fun out of it. I'd like to think they did anyway, yeah. you know. We had, great, we had a great time. Yes. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I was just going to say, it sounds like you enjoyed it thoroughly, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah loved it. And what subjects did you teach? I taught Irish and I taught history. Um, and as I say, I did a lot of drama as well there. Mm. And the Irish came in handy when uh, it came to broadcasting later because um, one, of the, one of the first All-Ireland finals I did, in fact, the first All-Ireland final I did, was in Irish. Um, it was a time when RTE were um, taking up the option of uh, putting the same match on RTE 1 and on RTE 2 with Michael O'Hare doing commentary in English on the, the main channel, RTE 1. And I, I, I picked it up on RTE 2 and did it in Irish. So, so the Irish did help there. Of course. How, how did the transition into broadcasting come about from teaching? By sheer and complete accident. accident. I, I, I go back, if you don't mind, Des, to the theatre part of it. I was, um, I'd written a pantomime for a group in Cork, uh, all amateurs. It was uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And I was uh, doing all the various scenes and I was producing it as well. And uh, one of the scenes in the pantomime was where we had a newscaster coming on and he was to read a line about the three bears have now managed to make their escape as far as Bear Island, which is in West Cork, which I thought was an appropriate place for bears to hang out. And the actor in question was having a little bit of difficulty just getting what I wanted. So I said, look, I'll take a tape recorder and I'll voice the words for you. Have a listen to it. And this is what I'm trying to get you to do. And when I listened back to it, I said to myself, holy mother of God, I, I'm almost sounding like Michael Murphy reading the nine o'clock news. Michael was one of the uh, acclaimed news readers we had in RT at that stage. And as like luck would have it, about two or three months after the pantomime run, uh, there was an ad in the paper for newsreaders. So I, like about 900 others, applied. Uh, miracle of miracles, <laughs> I was asked to come up and train. And I trained and I was one of... Um, 
five people uh, who did the final training sessions and I was one of two who got a job and I was being taken around RTE with uh, a guy called Cyril Smith who had been based in UTV in Belfast and we were being shown around the studios by Mike Burns who was, I think, head of news at the time. And I was more anxious to go into sport than into news. So I was saying to him, Mike, is there any chance I could deviate from this into sport, do you think? And he said, no, 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 that's that's out of the question. We're looking for newsreaders and newsreaders alone. One of my trainers, a lovely lady called Una Sheehy, she recommended me to the Cork Studios. I ended up down here. I'd met some guys while they were training as producers for radio. One of them was called Pat O'Donovan. Now, you know another Pat O'Donovan. There, yes. there are two Pat O'Donovans who are producers in RTE. And this Pat was for the Cork Studios. And he said, look, if you come down, you work in Cork, why don't we get together and we can do some sport? And he ended up giving me an opportunity to do the Cork County Finals. So from there, I did the matches down here. Tim O'Connor, our former boss uh, heard it and Tim said why don't you come up here and we'll have a chat and we'll see what we can do and that's how I ended up in RT in sport. Wow and did you read the news much? No, no, I, I trained as a newsreader yeah. and I, I decided, no, I, I don't particularly want to do this. I really want to do sport. <laughs> I was just looking for a way in. Another man that you'll be very familiar with is Jim Sherwin. And Jim had been a newsreader. He'd gone from there into Sorry. sport. So I thought, hello, that's a way of getting in. <laughs> so I was chancing my arm to an extent, you know. I did read the news later on in uh, radio in Cork, all right. Yeah. And, and what was your first uh, commentary for RTE then? The first commentary was the National League final replay in 1980. It was between Limerick and Cork, or Cork and Limerick, in Porky Cueve. And there were eight goals in that. It was an absolutely sensational game. I should explain, Des, I had, I'd got married. Let me get this right. I'd married two weeks earlier and I, no, no, it was a bit more than that. I'd married about four weeks earlier. And the week in question when the replay was on, I was bringing uh, my wife, Yvonne, my new wife, down to West Clare to meet some of my mother's relations. And when I got back, there was a telegram there. Uh, there were no phones in our possession in those days. Uh, there was a telegram there saying, could you make it to Porky Cueve tomorrow? Mick Don can't make it. And we need you to do the replay uh, in his stead. So that's how I ended up getting my first ever chance. I should also explain that a couple of weeks before that, I had been brought into Porky Cueve to uh, see how the whole thing was being done, to be to observe. And it was a fascinating experience in one regard. This was not live TV now, Des. This was um, highlights, 10.30 at night, Sunday night, Sunday sport. Mm. And the way in which it was done was uh, the there was a, a little rowing boat and it would go across from the Silver Springs Hotel, which is on one side of the River Lee, across to Porky Cueve. And there was a man in a rowing boat there and he would take take one tape back with him uh, after the first half and then at the end of the second half he would take the other tape back with him and it it was a very complicated kind of system at that stage and you were always hoping that uh, he wouldn't decide to go away and you wouldn't you wouldn't miss the second half and thereby a pointless exercise because you couldn't show half a game but it it worked okay and uh, I ended up working in the Sunday game from that point onwards and I've been there every year since then thank God it's a wonderful program to work on. 40 years. Well, your second musical choice, Chair Canning, comes from those early days of broadcasting, doesn't it? When And a non-sports programme as well. Yeah, I used to do... On radio, I was doing a programme called Maury Eve. And Maury Eve went out every Saturday morning and that was between 6.30 and 9 o'clock. 
old Saturday mornings. It was a great old traditional folk music type programme. And uh, I loved Sharon Shannon from the word go. And this was a track which I just found fascinating. Not everybody will, but I, I think it's, it's a lovely little piece. Um, it, it was uh, composed by a guy called Simon Jeffs and it's called Time for a Found Harmonium. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Sharon Shannon, Time for a Found Harmonium, the choice of today's guest, a sports commentator, Jer Canning. So, Jer, after those early mornings and Saturdays, you know, sport took over. And, of course, obviously your household name is a GA commentator, but you've commentated on so many other sports as well. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've just been very, very lucky. I mean, this this was like, you know, I I felt like I was a guy who went away with the circus when I joined up. It was uh, kind of a dream come true. And I, I, I said there was enough clowns my... in it. Go <laughs> <laughs> well, on, sorry. No, I have to thank my family, my wife and my ch- three children uh, for their indulgence that, you know, when other people were being going to the beach on a Sunday afternoon, uh, their husband and their father was heading off to the or Krug Park or wherever it was for a long number of years. Thoroughly enjoyable. But yeah, I ended up doing a lot of sports. I think my wife counted it out once. Uh, I think I've done about 14 different sports. But that is the way it is in a station like RTE where everybody mocks in and you learn some new things as you go along. I always remember I was uh, covering the uh, 1984 European Championships. It was a soccer championship in France. It was a very, very fine campaign. There were only eight teams in it. And I remember uh, when I was over there, Mike Horgan, uh, who was the uh, man in charge of the production, said to me, look, the Olympics is in three weeks after this thing finishes. And I have these sports here. Uh, Gabriel Egan's going to do two of, the, two of them and you're going to do the other two. And Gabriel chose uh, soccer and hockey I think it was and I said look I'll do basketball and volleyball uh, I had played basketball and I'd, I'd, I'd experienced a little bit of volleyball I loved volleyball and there were easy enough sports in which to try and get your teeth into so I ended up starting like that you know we've done most I think we've done all the Olympics since then and as you know yourself Des with the Olympics everybody mocks in and everybody gets involved and it is tremendous fun really tremendous fun hard work but tremendous fun Have you a favourite sporting venue from all of those years? Without question Croke Park is It took me a little while to get used to it because we're talking about the old Croke Park when I worked first and there were there was a little box built into the back of the stand there where Michael O'Hare had would have worked and where Mihola Murahertig would have done his radio and so on. It was a little cubbyhole. The, the, the public would barely see it. It was uh, claustrophobic in its own way. Uh, but w- with the new Croke Park, uh, as you know, the, the the space that we now have at our, at our disposal in the, in the media area is terrific. It's just a wonderful venue in which to work. I absolutely love getting there. I love Thurless as well because so many great hurling matches have taken place there over the years. And it has changed and it has improved and it's got better and better. Porky Cueve, the new Porky Cueve, is lovely as well. It's lovely to work. I did my first radio match there. I did my first TV match there. So I kind of have a, a grow for that as well, I must say, Des. You covered the tragedy in Heysel, didn't you? Yeah, I did. That was that was something I, you know, I really shouldn't have been there, Des, is the short answer to all of that. I should not have been there. That was 1985 and it was the 29th of May. The reason I shouldn't have been there is because my daughter was born only a few days before that and I should not I should not have been there but 
in my stupidity or in whatever I, I, I said I would do it. it. It worked out like this. George Hamilton was due to do that game, but George's father, I think, was seriously, perilously ill and I think died very shortly after that. And I got a phone call on the Monday to know, would I go and do this? And I chatted with Yvonne, my wife, and she said, look, go on, we'll be okay, it's only a day. I didn't even know who was playing in the in the in the Heysel Stadium match because I, I've been concentrating on I need the birth of a new child, yes. our second child, our daughter Claire was born. And I went into Easton's to try and find out who the heck the teams were and I knew Liverpool, but I didn't know much about Juventus, but I studied like mad. I, I went off early morning uh, on the Wednesday from Cork Airport to uh, London, I think, and then got hopped on a plane off to uh, Brussels after that. Was met by Mike Organ, the man I've mentioned earlier on. We've done a lot together, Mike and myself. And we went to Heysel and, of course, as we know, um, what should have been a glorious game between Liverpool and Juventus turned into a, a desperate tragedy when uh, I think it was 39 people lost their lives. And, uh, you know, you're, you're on air. Brendan O'Reilly was the anchor. There was, no, there was no panel in those days. There was just Mike and myself, basically, at the game in Heysel. And uh, we became aware that there was trouble um, happening and Mike went off to find out a little bit of information. I just kept on talking over the pictures and he came back and said, like, I think I think there have been fatalities here. And I think I think there have been I think a number of lives have been been lost. So he came back with a figure, I think it's six people have died here. Uh, I could see a crush. I could see Liverpool fans on one side, Juventus fans on the other side. I could see all that. But I, I had no idea exactly what was causing the mayhem that was happening because from the angle in which I was in the stand you couldn't see that a wall had collapsed and bodies had fallen on top of one another I saw stretchers coming out and I saw people on these stretchers I had no idea whether they were alive or were dead and then we were getting figures it's now 10 and it's 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 now 15 and this thing is going on and on and on. I went on for about an hour and a half and eventually the managers, and the, or not the managers, it was the, the captains, Phil Neal was the captain of Liverpool at the time, they spoke over the intercom to the fans to kind of, please go back to your seats if you can, we want to play this match. They were worried sick that if the fans went out on the streets of Brussels afterwards that we would end up with the mother of all battles mm -hmm. and there would be more lives lost. I didn't know how many lives had been lost until afterwards. I didn't know exactly why it happened. I was so grateful that the match kicked off and I could actually get back onto terra firma again and talk about something that I had some reasonable knowledge of, which is what footballers do. Yeah. Final uh, question on a sports note, Chair. What are your standout games? You, I'm sure you're asked a lot. Have you, have you favourite matches from your career? I suppose... It would have to be the 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 great All Ireland finals that I have seen. Uh, hurling is 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 a favourite sport, obviously, because I come from Cork. Even though I wasn't much of a hurler, I loved trying to play it. Those great Kilkenny and Tipperary matches of the the noughties, Some of those were absolutely brilliant, absolutely superb, and I, I they are they they are the standout ones for me. In football, the Dubs winning the five in a row, Cork winning the double back in in uh, in 1990. That was that was terrific as well. Then you had that run of four years when Northern teams won from 91 up to 95. 
there were so many memories. I feel so blessed to have been the person who was given the opportunity to call those games. I really feel so blessed. It was, it has been just a most magnificent experience. And thanks to all the players and all the managers who were so good in all that they did to make life so pleasant for all of us. Lovely. Now, your, your final musical choice, Jerry Canning. Yeah, myself and Yvonne, my wife, we have loved going to see Andre Rio. We love listening to his concerts. We watch them on TV regularly. And this is uh, a version of the Leonard Cohen uh, song. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's Alleluia. Jerry Canning, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Des. Good luck to you and your viewers and your listeners. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.